Hey everyone, it's Pastor Eddie from River of Life. Just want to say thank you for joining us on our podcast. Now let's get ready to hear a word from the Lord today. What does God want to speak to our hearts today? So come on, open your Bibles, open your hearts, and let's get into the Word. Let's stand to our feet, open your Bibles, go with me over to 1 Samuel, the Old Testament. And our youth know where 1 Samuel is, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. I only heard Lydia. Okay, everyone else, 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 5. And we've been talking about how to bring revival. Now, if you're new to the church, we usually have a lot of visitors on after Harvest Fest for the next few weeks. And if you're here and you visited with us for the first time yesterday or you're visiting for the first time, we'll say welcome. God bless you. Thank you for being here and being a part of our service. But we've been talking about how to bring revival, how to get revived in the spirit of God, in the presence of God. Revival means to live again. When someone may, uh, you know, die on the operating table or something like that, doctors work very hard and they revive them. It's a second chance. It's be to revived. Well, Jesus came to revive us spiritually. And when you get revived and when you have the presence of the Lord in your life and you're walking in the presence of the Lord, it's just... It's just awesome. In his presence, miracles happen, and freedom is there, and it's different than church and organized religion. It, it's, it's freedom. It's revival. So we've been talking about that, and uh, I titled this little short series called uh, What Brings Revival or How Revival Comes. And we looked at a story in Luke 5 about a man who was carried on a stretcher by four people. We kind of used that as our anchor text to push off and look at the four ways that brings in revival. And then last week was, anybody remember last week? Hungry, being hungry. I mean, he's hungry. Not yet. You'll eat after service. Amen. I may have you out to beat the Baptist to Applebee's. I don't know. Maybe not. No promises. But hungry, I talked about it last week. Got to have desire. This week, I want to talk about humility. Ask the person next to you, say, are you humble? Humility. Humility. This is one of the ways that ushers in revival. And we're going to talk about it today here in 1 Samuel chapter 5. God just gave me this approach and this perspective to talk about today. And let's read it together. Now the Philistines took the ark of God, that's the ark of the covenant, and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. When the Philistines, the Philistines are the bad people, okay? And they captured the ark of God from Israel because Israel was living in disobedience. And so God said, if you don't follow the way I said to live, I'm not going to, you're going to open yourself up to destruction and you're going to lose. They did it. The Philistines came in, defeated the Israelites and took the precious ark of the covenant. Look what they did with it. They didn't even know what to do with it. They took the ark of God and they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. Dagon was their idol was their pagan god that they worshipped. It was a huge statue that had the torso, arms, and the head of a man, and the lower half of it was a fish. And they worshipped. In the ancient world, they worshipped everything. And Philistines had several gods. This was their main god, was this Dagon. So they brought the ark in and set it next to Dagon. Look at verse 3. So when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning... There was Dagon fallen on its face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. What did they do? They took Dagon and they set him back up again. Verse 4. So when they arose early the next morning, 
There was Dagon, again, fallen on its face to the ground before the ark, notice that, of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both of the palms of the hands were broken off on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left on it. Okay, you would get a, I would get a message after this. I'd be like, you know what? Maybe this God is not all that. But instead, look at the next verse. They, they made an excuse in another ceremony. Therefore, neither the priest of Dagon nor any who come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. In other words, where he broke down and fell apart, they called that place holy. And they made a whole new religious ceremony based on that. And they got the ark of God and they said, get the ark out of here. We want this broken God. And when God's presence left, a plague came in and just their lives just fell apart. But I want to stop the reading right there. And Father, we thank you for this story that you preserved over thousands of years, literally, for us to read today in 2022. Father, help us, Lord, to recognize and identify the pride that is in all of us. And it keeps us from your presence. Father, I pray for your blessing upon our our ears today and upon our heart and we bless your name in jesus name amen and amen you may be seated hallelujah thank you jesus looking at my little grandson i want to welcome tyler and miranda and little grandson here today on the front row amen he's awesome so i'll be kind of quiet he's got earphones on amen so hallelujah humility what is humility I think humility is best defined by defining what humility is not. Humility is not a facial expression. Humility is not a tone of voice. Uh, humility, it, it's, it's not a cliche. That song that Pastor Steve, we, we sung earlier, it says, that this song may be out of tune. Remember that? I mean, that song, it took me back to the day, back in the days when we had specials. Remember them? And they got on, they'd sing a special, and sorry, I haven't practiced. And if it may be off key, but the Lord knows my heart. Amen. It sounded so humble, wasn't it? Amen. We, and, and then we would sing it, and we'd be like, ah, oh, I should have practiced, brother. But that was good. Amen. But, but you know, that humility. We think a lot of things are humility and humble, which it's really not. Uh, hum, humility is not dressing like you're poor when you really got money. And you have houses and, and cars on every continent of the planet, but you dress poor because you're humble. It's not a cliche. It's not, it's not just a, a, an emoji we add to a conversation. That, that's not what humility is. Biblical humility is this. It's a, it's a self-awareness uh, of our frailty and of our brokenness. That, that's what biblical humility is. It, it, it's, it's a self-awareness, uh, our inner awareness of our frailty and our brokenness. And I would even add to that, and, and, and the fact that we recognize that we need God to make us whole. That's what the biblical definition of humility is. It's knowing inside that we are broken, that we are, we are not all that. We are not the person that has arrived. We recognize that we need God. I don't know about you, but I recognize that I need God. And the more I serve the Lord and the older I get, the more I realize that I need God just to get up out of the bed. I, I need God just to get through the day anymore. Come on, is anybody else with me today? They say, yeah, I'm at that place. That's humility. That, that's what true humility is. 
Humility is like hunger. It, it, it attracts revival. It attracts the presence of the Lord. It, re, it, it attracts the favor of God. It's humility. And I think it's Isaiah 66. It's not on the screen, but you can write this down. Isaiah 66 says, um, God says, This one person I will look at, he who is poor and of a broken and contrite spirit. In other words, God says, I, I, what gets my attention is those that are have an inner awareness that they are broken, that they're not all that in a bag of chips, as we used to say. They, they know that they know that they know that they haven't arrived yet. They realize that, and it comes across maybe in their tone of voice. It may be coming across in the way they, they it will filter out, but it's not sometimes the stuff that we think is humility. Another beatitude, I gave you one last week. Here's another one in Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meek, meekness is another word for humility. And our society will tell you that meekness is weakness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power under control. Moses was one of the most meekest person on planet earth. And if you really follow him, he was not a wimp. To walk in and stand in front of the pharaoh of Egypt that could kill you at any moment and look at him eye to eye and said, let my people go. I mean, that doesn't take, uh, a coward can't do that. He didn't want the job because he didn't want to be a leader, but he had no problem going in there, but he went in there. He, he was meekness, that's power under control, and he got God's attention. But pride is our biggest obstacle to the presence of God. It's pride. It's in our fallen nature. All of us have it. It's something that we are going to fight against. You know, the Bible talks about uh, wrestling against the flesh, the flesh and the spirit, and we have a whole list of lusts of the flesh. Well, actually, all sin can be traced back to pride. It's in Genesis. Satan came with Eve and, de- and deceived, tried to deceive her and trick her. It was what? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. The Bible says all sin can be in those three categories, which is all funneled underneath pride. Pride. Fear comes out of pride. It, it, pride is the root of all sin. Pride is our biggest obstacle. It's our biggest hindrance to serving God. Proverbs 16.5 says, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Look at that. He hates pride. He hates a proud heart. He hates that about us. And, and it says, Though they join forces, none will succeed. And that's just like pride. It just tries to, to run the show. But the Lord detests the proud. And you know this one, 1 Peter 5, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, what? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. God resists the proud. It don't matter how much faith you have. It doesn't matter how much education you have, how much money you have in the bank. It doesn't matter how much Bible you know and how much Bible you got highlighted in your Bible or how many scriptures you post on Facebook or, or Twitter or Instagram or how, how good you can sing, how good we can do what we, are, we can do. If there is pride in our heart, God will resist his presence from invading us the way it needs to be. It's a principle in the spirit world. It's, it's, it's a law in the spirit world. Whether you believe it or not, it's a law. Just like the law of gravity. Whether you believe in gravity or not, we are all under that law as long as we live on the earth. The only thing that defeats the law of gravity is the law and the power of lift. The Wright brothers discovered that and we got planes now that take off. The power of lift supersedes the power and the law of gravity. The only thing that breaks the law of pride is the law of humility. 
Humility is the only thing that will get us out of what our pride got us into. Humility. Humility brings the presence of the Lord. It has the favor of the Lord. And we all have to fight it. Let me give you a couple of reasons why I believe that God really detests pride so much and why he hates it. Number one, because pride keeps us from giving God our full devotion. Pride keeps us from giving God our full devotion, doesn't it? It, it, keeps, us, it keeps us back from, from serving God and making God every, everything in, in our life. You see this in the story where they brought the ark of God. Now, the ark of God was that golden box that some of you might recognize from Indiana Jones. It was the most sacred piece of furniture in the tabernacle. It represented God's presence. In it was some other items. But as long as Israel had this piece of furniture in the center of their community, it was in the holies of holies. Only the high priest could go back and see this. But as long as they kept that in the center of their community, and they obeyed the Lord with the sacrifices and all of that, God promised them victory. But whenever they begin to treat the presence of God as secondary and not, not that important and begin to do their own thing, uh, then they were defeated. And that's how the Philistines got it. So the Philistines took the ark, didn't even know what it was, and they brought it into the temple of their idols, into their big temple of Dagon. And, and, and there they brought it into that holy place and they set it right next to Dagon. Now what's wrong with this picture? If you know anything about the God of the Bible, he doesn't share his glory with anyone. But that's pride, guys. That's exact pride. See, they believed in God enough to bring him into the temple. They didn't believe in him enough to make him the only God in their temple. And that's exactly what pride does. Pride will believe in the man upstairs. I believe in the man upstairs. I believe in God. Me and the man upstairs got our own agreement. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and we believe in there's a God, but pride says, you, you know, you don't need to make him the only God in your temple. It's okay if you keep Dagon a little. That's a family thing, bro. I mean, Dagon was handed down from generation. That, that's your ethnicity. That, that's your community. That's your culture. That needs to be in there just the same level as Almighty God. God said, hold up. I don't share my glory just like you don't share your wife. I mean, there's some things that are hands off, bro. Some things. What's the number one commandment? Thou shalt not have no other. And I love the number one commandment and the Ten Commandments because God also gives an explanation to why he needs to be the only one. Because he deserves to be the only one. Because he said, I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one that set you free. I'm the one that washed away your sins. I'm the one that gave you a promise of eternity in heaven. I'm the one that sent my only son to earth. No other religion has done that. I'm the only one that loved you unconditionally. Come on, somebody. So it's not being, oh, you're not, you're exclusive. No, I'm specific. I'm specific. And God said, I don't share my And so that's what pride does. Pride keeps us from selling out. Pride is like that, that idol worship. It keeps us from sharing our faith. It keeps us from serving. It keeps us from worshiping. Think about it. Pride is what keeps us from giving our full devotion to the Lord. You will rate, that was my problem. You know, I believed in God every now and then, but to be sold out, I wouldn't do it. I'm going to 
talk more about this here in just a moment. But it keeps us from giving our full devotion to God. What blew my mind is after God knocked this thing over twice, they picked it back up. It fell down on its face. They picked it back up. Then the second time, they, they, it, he knocked it down, and it broke its hands, which means its power, and its head, his ability to communicate. And I love it. There's an ancient drawing from Rembrandt, some painter guy. And he's got it, and that's exactly how it looked. It fell before. Now, if you walked in in the morning where you had your little idol worship place is going, and your idol is down on its face, facing God, wouldn't you get a hint? Wouldn't you say, you know what, I, I don't know, I, know you, I love mom and dad, I know this has been their God, and everybody else on Facebook does this, and everybody else, that other church does it like this, and you know, as long as I say this little prayer and burn this candle, you know, I'm okay, but you know, it, but it's not working, and you still have brokenness, but here's the point, they chose their brokenness over Jehovah God, the healer. And the God of heaven. And they say, get this thing out of here. We're going to prop them up, put some duct tape on them. And pretend everything is okay. That's pride. That's what pride does. That's what pride does in us, right? I mean, you ever fall and get, get back up so quick and you want to know why to see that you just fell? We all do that, right? We, we, don't want to put, we don't want to put ourselves out there at all. I mean, you'll, you'll say, people take pictures, no filter. Look real close. There's a filter on there. But sometimes people are like, no, I mean, I get it. You know, we don't like pe- to put ourselves out there. But that's exactly what they did, which brings the sad second point is that pride will keep us from receiving God's blessing. See, when they got rid of God, they got rid of God's blessing. They got rid of God's protection. They got rid of God's provision. They got rid of all of that. And they wanted to keep their broken down life. See, God will not share his glory with idols. And idols must die in the presence of God. We have got to choose which one we're going to have. And God is saying, choose me, because if you choose me, you get everything with me. I am Jehovah Rapha, the one that heals you. I am Jehovah Jireh, the one that can provide for you. I am Jehovah Sikkanu. I am your banner. I am Jehovah Jireh. I am Jehovah. All these different names are used to describe God because God is so good. He can't be labeled and under the banner of one little hashtag. I love what Moses said. Moses said, God, what do I tell Pharaoh who sent me? He said, tell him the I am sent you. Tell them the I am sent you. you. Just tell them the I am. The I am what? The I am what you need in your season of trouble. If you need a deliverer, I'm the... I've got to preach for a moment. I'm the deliverer. If you need a healer, I'm the healer. If you're lonely, I'm your companion. If you're an orphan, I'm your father. If you've been abandoned, I'll never leave you or forsake you. If you need to be loved, I love you unconditionally. I am God. Moses was, was like, okay, you got it. I'm enough. We got to get to the place where God is enough. But we never will experience the goodness of God until we get rid of Dagon. And that's what the Philistines was not willing to do. And thirdly, the thing about pride, and this is where I want to get into this. Pride is hard to recognize. We do so well with hiding it. I think it hides itself. It's very hard to recognize sometimes pride when it shows up in our life. We could see it sometimes in other people, but sometimes we fail to see it in us. 
It hides. So what I did today, I was praying about this message, is no, we're not converting to Buddhism. That was a joke. You guys should laugh. (laughs) Setting up these idols. Some of you are like, these are, we're not worshiping these idols. So pride is hard to recognize, but pride's little friends are easy to recognize. The manifestations of pride are easy to recognize. But Dagon, he's hidden. He's the big boy. But he has these little friends that are manifestations. It's almost like that show, Stranger Things. (laughs) I heard about it. And that show was this evil thing on on the upside-down world, and it grows through the city, and you hit it, and it, 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 it feels it. That's how pride is. It manifests all over here in a little demigod, whatever that... And all these things, trying to relate to the young people, amen. And the old people, some of you are like, what is he talking about? He's worshiping them idols, Myrtle. I know he is. No, 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 listen. Pride is the, is the source, but it manifests in all these little ways. And some of us don't recognize that it's pride, but it's pride. And, and, and I want us to today, together, as a people, because I want revival. I want the presence of God. I've tasted and seen, and I know it is good. I want healings. I want people set free from things. I, I want people to get healed in their emotions and, and in their anxieties to be healed and, and to go to that next level in their faith. I want marriages to go to be put back together and go to that next level. Does anybody else want that? Well, we got to put pride down, and this is what this message was. So these, five, these are five ways that pride keep, keeps us from the presence of God. That's how I want to frame it today. These are five ways that can become idols that are manifestations of pride, but they keep us from God's presence. And the first one here is self-reliance. Anything with self in it is pretty bad. self this one would be self-reliance. This is the, the idol that we have in our life, and it pops up from time to time. It, it'll pop up in little things like, like self-reliance. We never ask for help. This is why, guys, we never ask for directions. <laughs> we, we, it, it, and it shows up in these little things, you know, I got it myself, you know, you know, carrying something heavy. I got, well, you need help? No, and pull our back out. This, this, this self-reliance, you know, we all have it. it, it it's good, but in our society, it has taken on a whole new meaning. It's, 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 I can do anything. You know, I can become anything that I think of. You got, you got to be careful with that. The Bible says, I can do all things. Y'all know the Bible through Christ. So some people take the first part of that verse, pull it out, and say, you are like God. What they don't know they're doing is they're teaching paganism. They're teaching exactly what God said. I don't share my glory with anyone, let alone a broken, sinful person like you and me. Self-reliance. This is why God brought the children of Israel. He brought them out of Egypt, and he began to do what? He fed them with manna from heaven. Why was he bringing them and feeding them manna from heaven every day? He was teaching them to get rid of this guy. What did he say? He said, don't store up manna for Tuesday and Wednesday if it's Monday. Trust me that I'm going to provide for you on Monday. Somebody needs to hear this. That I'm also going to provide for you on Tuesday. Don't try to put some back in the pantry and, 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 and worry that God's going to skip you on Friday because you've been skipped before. 
all your other relationships, and even your father might not have been that best guy to you, so you think God is flawed. That's a trick of the enemy, and he's trying to get you to prop this little dude up in your life. God said, Israel, trust me every day. In fact, if they stored up manna and tried to save it, the Bible says maggots when worms would grow on it. He would throw it down. Why? He was trying to break this guy. This, this comes up all the time. I don't know about you, but I battle this all the time. Well, I wait on God, but he ain't doing it, so I might as well do it myself. It's this guy. He's peeking out of my jacket. You need help? No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm about to lose my mind. I was battling the devil all night last night. I don't even think I'm saved, but I'm good. God is good all the time. Shut up. Somebody needs to be real sometimes and say, man, I don't feel like I'm saved. I'm about to lose my ever-loving mind. And everybody in the Bible that did that, you know what God did? I was waiting for you to say it. I was waiting for you to say it. But as long as we keep, oh, I'm good. How you doing? I'm good in control, highly favored and blessed and prosperous of God and whatever else we can come up with. Kenneth Copeland said, whatever. We got all these things. It's, it's this dude. It's this dude. Now, it's funny on one level, but it gets to another whole level as this guy becomes the idol of our life. You begin to hear people say, I don't need that Jesus like you do because you need him as a crutch. You just need God because y'all Christians look at God and y'all need him because you're weak. You know, I don't need a crutch in my life. I'm a self-made man. You know how many zeros I got in the bank account? You ain't even seen the amount of money I have. I'm all about that money, baby. I'm a hardworking man. I'm all about that fame and all that. You all need Jesus because you all need a crutch. You know what I say to that? I, I actually say I agree with you. I agree that Christianity was never intended to be a crutch. Christianity was not, never, ever intended. Please lean in. This is so good. You need to get this. Because people think that very thing in mind that we are weak. Meekness is weakness. Humility is weakness. If you want something, you've got to go take it, bro. Now let me just, let me give you a little bit of uh, wisdom in that, because again, they stole that from the Bible. When God taught them and gave the Israelites manna from heaven, the day they got into the promised land, he quit giving them manna. He said, you go out and fight, and you go out. Now, depend on me in different ways. So there is a maturity and a growth that takes place in us, but we will always never make the mistake. We will always need to depend on God. I love what Jesus said in John 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. What was he teaching his disciples there to get rid of the little dude? But I'll tell you what, I don't believe Christianity is a crutch. What is a crutch anyway? Well, a crutch is something that we use to just help us do what we want to do. I mean, it doesn't change our life at all. If I want to go to the ball game, I'm still going to go to the ball game. The crutch is just going to help me get to the ball game. And I might even get a better seat because I'm disabled. But the crutch don't change nothing. I still got my life. I still am in control. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. It just helps me get to where I need to get to. And, and another thing about a crutch, when the injury is healed, we throw the crutches aside. So I agree with you, ladies and gentlemen and people, class. I feel like I'm teaching class today. I got my college sweater. Kavar ain't here today. I had to tell him. He has to put me into college with him. Look like a professor. When we're done with our injury, we throw the crutches away. Some people treat God that way. 
Exactly. They only help God do and fulfill their dreams. They only want God in their life to help them do what they want to do. Or when their marriage is back together, when they got the mind right and they're, back, they're through this season of trial and storm, they'll throw the crutches aside. That was me for 25 years. I prayed, God, if you get me out of this one, I'm going to serve you. And he would get me out of it every time. And I would be humble. I'm not going to party that hard this weekend. If I do, you're driving. I'm not driving. I'm going I'm to you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray every night before I go to sleep. You know, and I would do that for a week, and then slowly I would get right back. Why? Because this guy. And this is what they did. I don't want to spend too much time on this point. I got five more. I had ten. Some of y'all just got that. Okay. Wake the person next up to you up. Say, are you listening? So listen, when God knocks an idol down, don't pick it back up. And sometimes God will allow seasons that can even cause injury. Like he knocked Dagon down. He knocked them down. And, and, and instead of throwing him aside, they picked him back up. And God did this in my life until finally, when I was 25 years old, it changed. And this is what I say about people who call Christianity a crutch. No, Christianity is never meant to be a crutch. It's meant to be a stretcher. You are to get all in that bad boy. You are to get in there and say, God, you take the wheel. Lord, you are in charge. You are the captain of this ship. Wherever you want to go, I'm going to go. Lord, you lead, I will follow. Amen. You believe that? So here's the thing with the idols of self-reliance. God will knock it down. Some of you are in a season right now where this seems to be knocked down. You're like the Philistines. Listen, if you are in a season where there is tension and there is just all kinds of stuff going on, it could be that God is trying to reveal some idols in our hearts that are taking the space that only God deserves. And God is saying, hey, don't put that thing back up. So what we need to do with this idol is not pick it up, but we need to break it. We need to break it. And get rid of it. And be like David. And David said, some trust in chariots, some trust in strength, some trust in their bank accounts, some trust in everything into their education. But David said, I love all that, but I don't trust in that. I trust in the living God. And in him alone do I trust. Do you agree with that? Give me some praise today. Amen. Hallelujah. Then the second idol here would be uh, another manifestation that the enemy has lied to us. And slowly has gotten it in. And I've never seen this so bad in our culture. I couldn't believe Pastor Steve said that during worship. And that is ungratitude, unthankfulness, ungratefulness. This is a manifestation of pride, of ungratefulness. And when it shows up, you know, pride will not even say thank you. Pride will not even say thank you. Let that sit in for a moment. Again, pride keeps us from fully devotion to God. That's why it hinders our worship. That's why God hates it so much. You and I ain't going to be thankful to God when this dude is around. And he, on uh, ungratefulness, he actually has a twin brother. There's two little twins on this little idol. There's actually a twin brother that comes with uh, ungratefulness. And Pastor Steve said it, and I couldn't believe it. It was, it's entitlement. He was right on, brother. He's preaching my message. Entitlement. Ungratefulness goes right with entitlement. You know what entitlement means? Entitlement means the belief that one is deserving of privileges or special treatment. That, that's what pride, again, it's hard to find Dagon, but it's easy to spot his little friends when they manifest in our life. And these two little twins will really begin to take over our life. And you know what is amazing? If, you, if you've ever read 
Romans chapter 1. Go home and read that. Romans chapter 1 describes what can happen to a society when we fail to thank God. When we fail to be grateful. It begins, it says, we exchange the creator for created things and our, and our understanding becomes darkened. Where we exchange the natural use, even in our sexuality, we begin to get confused. If you read Romans chapter 1, it begins to describe uh, this fall of society into this darkness. And it all starts when we are ungrateful. Isn't that scary? So how do you defeat this ungratefulness? You've got to work on gratitude. You've got to work on gratitude. You and I have got to fight that. You and I have got to fight, um, be, make ourselves be thankful. You cannot allow the, that in, entitlement into the story that you tell yourself about yourself. You cannot allow that to get into your thinking. You cannot get, get, get that into your mind as, I deserve this. You can't, you and I got to cast that down. I mean, when people, when I go on vacation or we take breaks, what do we say to each other? Go on it, you deserve it. And, and that's cool, that's not wrong. But to be honest with you, when I hear that, when I say that, there's something in me that goes, mm. because I'm, I'm afraid of this guy. Because I was so ungrateful, so ungrateful to my mom and dad. I was so ungrateful to so many people in my life. It, it is a part of our nature. It is unthankful. And after a while, you start saying, I deserve it. It's about time. Yeah, I deserve this. What's happening? This little guy is getting up there, and God's presence is starting to go. But when we begin to come into the house of the Lord, when we begin to remember, when David one time, when he was king, he walked around his palace, he looked outside the windows, and he said, God, you took me from the backside of the wilderness when I was nobody, and you have given me all of this. When you read Jacob before he wrestled with the angel, the Bible says he crossed the little river of Jabbok and he put his staff down and he got on his knee and he said, God, the last time I was here, I was crossing over going this way and I didn't have nothing. I didn't have a penny to my name. All I had was this staff. But now, I said, but now, but now, God, you've been so good to me. You've given me my peace. You've given me my heart, my love, my family. And now I'm crossing it over again and my family is so big, i got to be broken up into two divisions. God, you have been so good to me. What is he doing? He's getting rid of this. Parents, this may sound like a, a thing off the wall, no big deal, but when we teach our kids, please and thank you, man, it's big, it's huge. I've never seen this so big in our culture today where there's a generation that's coming up. I had it in my generation, but it's like worse and worse in every generation. And the Bible says in the last days that people will become unthankful. It's just like, you, you know, we deserve it. Listen, we don't deserve anything. Get to the place where in your mind you understand that without God we can do nothing. And that's how you, as you worship God, as we praise God, as we, that's why worship is so important. And, but pride will stop us from giving praise. Hear me today. Pride will stop us from giving God the worship that he deserves. We, we'll post them next to Dagon. God said, I'm, I'm worth being praised all by myself. And they chose Dagon. We got to break, break these two idols. This one right here is probably the ugliest of them all. One of them, and this is 
This is a critical spirit. This is, um, this is fault finding. This is, now, there is a thing called, you know, constructive criticism is so good and so important. But let's, let's define constructive criticism because sometimes pride will hide under the umbrella of constructive criticism. I'm trying to help us today identify the Dagons and the little things that the enemy is trying to get us that keeps us from the presence of the Lord. And one of them is what the Pharisees had, and that is a spirit of critical spirit, a fault find, always correcting people. I mean, just always seeing things that are negative. Um, just, are, just are always, I mean, they'll pick a conference apart. They'll pick a church. I had it, I, and I know some folks that had it. Any church that is over 100 people must be doing something wrong. That church, look at that church. Look at, look at what they got that thing up there. You know, why they got that? Why they got all these people? I bet you the preacher never preaches against sin. And, and the preacher preaches against sin. It, don't do it as good as so-and-so does. So people get saved. They, I bet you nobody gets saved in that church. And then people get saved. I bet you don't have a discipleship program. Big Pharisee right here. Look at that worship. Why she got them jeans on? She got holes in her jeans. Oh, my gosh. The Pharisees would come early to hear Jesus preach just to see if he's going to wash his hands. Look, he didn't wash his hands. Jesus healed a man, was sick for 38 years. I shared that a couple weeks ago. And the man couldn't walk for 38 years. Jesus heals the guy. He stands up. Jesus says, pick up that mat and take it home. Why? Because you don't need it no more. It was a hallelujah time. I got to praise. I got to let it out. I got to praise. Y'all had that one-two beat going, Dave. I was waiting for y'all to have church. I know you're tired, but that was old school, but we'd get that going. I got, y'all got to learn how to do that, man. I got to praise. It's too late now. Wait till next week. Some of y'all, I'm going to praise. Got to let it out, but you got the little idols sticking out of my shirt. Where's that camera at? I better not get on that camera. When you're at home, you're all on the camera. You get to the church, talking about, come on now. That's pride, baby. Put them hands down. I saw some of y'all at the Michigan game yesterday. Come in the church. I'm worshiping inside. Let him out. Person next to you might get blessed. It may be saying, I'm waiting to see. Pride is like, no, pride's like this. Jesus said, don't become like the Pharisees. He called them stiff-necked people. You know what a stiff-necked person is? Y'all know, they, they don't even agree with you. They, they can't even agree. they just stiff. And if you look, Jesus taught parables about weeds and, and uh, wheat, the harvest. And the thing about a, a field, a harvest field, is when the wind blows across the harvest field, the wheat, because it's so heavy with fruit, will bow. But a weed, I ain't bound before nothing. That's a weed, dude. But a wheat, because it's heavy, it's fruitful. I've been helping. I've been serving. I've been worshiping. This church is amazing. Some of half of you that worked at the Harvest Party uh, Festival, they're up there serving in River Kids today. I was, fruit. The Holy Spirit is that wind. And when he blows, that spirit of refreshing. And when he blows, that refreshing wind upon you, we just bow in the presence of God. The Pharisee just stands up with that big old stupid box on her head. They're just worshiping. That's a religious thing. 
Stupid, because they made an idol out of it. God said, I wanted you to have the scripture on your mind, which represented a new mind being renewed. They made a doctrine out of it. We make doctrines out of stuff. What was I talking about? This guy, critical spirit. We'll go into a church and we'll pick it apart. A critical, constructive criticism is when you got people on your team that got some skin in the game. That's like, hey, man, what can we do? Like, Harvest Fest has another... Uh, meeting coming up next week, and they're going to do some constructive criticism. What was good this year? What was not good? Our staff does it. Our whole ministry does it. We, we allow, we, hey, man, we get feedback from, if you own a business, you need to get some feedback from your clients on what they think, and then your team, who's got skin in the game, sit down, take that criticism, and construct something new. That is all healthy. That is 100%. That's not this guy. This guy is a spirit of fault-finding. This guy's never happy because when the fair, when you tell people how bad they are, it makes us feel better. It's that pride begins to get stroked over its head. Like, yeah, you know what? You, the Pharisees, when they put Jesus down, their ego was like it made them feel better. That's this guy right here. It's a critical spirit. This is what kept the children of Israel out of the promised land. Is this guy right here? How many want to get rid of the critical spirit? I see it in my life sometimes, and I'll see it come up when I judge other, other things. I, God has set me free from so much because I stay on that potter's wheel. Don't fall for this stuff that you see on YouTube where people are coming after T.D. Jakes, coming after Stephen Furtick, coming after anybody that's got a large church. Leave them alone. If they're preaching a false doctrine, we're going to talk about it. Absolutely. And we talk about doctrine on Wednesday nights, but just because they got a big church and they don't do it the way we do it, it don't mean they're doing it wrong. And so don't let people suck you into that. And then they do the very thing that they are saying that they're doing wrong. They'll put Stephen Furtick up and look what he's doing. But yet they're picking him apart. <laughs> and they get paid by views, by the way. So the more people they get you to view, the more they're getting money as they make fun of people who's getting rich off of what you view. It's insane. One time the disciples was out preaching and they saw this dude casting out a devil. And they, they said, stop that. They came back to Jesus and they said, Jesus, we saw this guy who was casting out a demon in your name, but he don't run with us. And Jesus said, why did you forbid him? Don't forbid anyone that's doing anything in my name, for whoever is for me is not against me. That's called sectarianism. That's when somebody don't minister the way we minister, we think they're doing something wrong. No, no, we need them all. We need Stephen Furtick out there. And as far as I know, he's not preaching that Buddha is the way. So let the man preach. He's reaching thousands of young people. Michael Todd, thousands of young people will log on and watch him preach. Two and a half hours. You ever heard his sermons? They're two and a half. And he's Pentecostal, brother. He's sweating up a mess. He's running around. I mean, Michael Todd, he'll bless your socks off. And he's reaching a whole generation. And we get mad. Well, because he don't do it like we do. Not everybody likes Jimmy Swagger. I love him, pray for him, but not everybody is going to be like your favorite Baptist guy or, your, or the guy down the street. Let God be God. Put this guy down and say, God, whatever you want to do, if your kingdom is growing, let it grow, baby. Let it grow. Hallelujah. Break that dude. Break that dude. Whatever God touches, he grows. Whatever he touches, he grows. This is one of the ones that I fight the most. Maybe not you, but I do. It's rebellion. Rebellion. How long we got? This is rebellion, guys. This is in our sin nature. Look at the person next to you. Smile at them. 
look back at me. They got this one going on right now. We all do. It's in our DNA in us. It's in our fallen nature. Paul said it this way. Whenever we see the law, the law arouses this guy. In other words, you ever tell your kid not to do something and now they want to do it because you said not to do it? That's Romans chapter 7. Where Paul said the law rules arouse this guy. I wish we could turn it around. Y'all don't worship at all. Don't read your Bible at all. But it don't work that way. This guy will arouse. And the poster child for this guy is a man named Saul in 1 Samuel. You got to go back. I kind of feel for Saul sometimes. But Saul was the guy that started off humble. He knocked all these idols down. He got rid of Dagon when they wanted to make him a pastor. He didn't even want to be pastor. He was hiding in the equipment room. He didn't want to be pastor. But once he got some name, he's got his name got big. He got some money in the bank. He got that job. He's now walking around as King Saul. He's like, what's up? When he walks in a room, they're like, there you go. Now it's all about self. Now it's all about him. This manifests in, listen, by doing things our way. Saul loved Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley was a pop singer back in the day. He sung a song, I Did It My Way. Okay, that's the joke there. Sorry about my call. Frank Sinatra. Elvis did it too. Elvis, Elvis a little better. But anyway, he's a, you know, Burger King does it your way. Rebellion does it our way, guys. And Saul did things his way. God said, I want you to go down and wipe out the Amalekites. They were evil terrorists. Wipe them out. He goes down there. He looks and he goes, I got a better idea. I'm not going to take them all out. I'm not going to get rid of Dagon. I'm going to keep a little bit of Dagon. I'm going to keep the king. I'm going to do it my way. My way is better than your way. Sometimes God will, put, will tell your authority to do something that you know is not the better, and you may have a better ideal, but he'll put you in that situation to see what you're going to do. I would recommend a book to anybody that wants to get into ministry. It's called Undercover by John Brevere. Undercover. You'll look at authority in an entirely different way because God operates through authority. We are all under authority. I am under authority. I have a board. I have presbyters. I have a superintendent. I got so many layers of authority over me, it's not even funny. It is a scary situation when you get to the place and you look up and there ain't nobody over you. That is scary. But rebellion, it doesn't take correction. Saul came back. And Samuel said, did you do everything God said to do? You know, God says to sell out to him, to worship him, tithing's in there, loving your wife, not being, you know, letting forgiveness, being forgiving. How are you doing with those things? Saul goes, I'm killing it, bro. I'm knocking it down. I did everything God's telling me to do. And then Samuel goes, well, uh, why I hear sheep? And who's this guy? It's the king Agag. Why did you take the king and bring him here? He said, because I thought we could keep him, make him a servant. So that when other people come to the temple, they'll see him that we have made our enemy our servant. Isn't that a better idea? And Samuel said these words to Saul. He looked at Saul and he put that scripture. You got a rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. And stubbornness is as bad as worshiping an idol. And because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. 
And then Saul had so much pride. He said, Samuel, all right, that was pretty heavy. But everybody's watching, so at least honor me in front of everybody. And let's walk down this hill together. We're going we're to handle this in the back room. But please, let, let it look good in front of everybody. And Samuel said, man, you're crazy. And he walked away, and Saul grabbed his garment and said, please, and it ripped his garment. And Samuel looked at him and said, just like you ripped my garment, God has ripped the kingdom from you and has given it to a man that will do everything that God tells him to do. His name was David. David wasn't perfect. He had a little issue with lust one time, and he got victory over it. But he was a sold-out dude. He didn't have rebellion going on. You talk about worship. This brother, he danced with all his might when they brought the ark back from the Philistines. He was out there busting. He was out there just doing it. He was sweating. He was worshiping so hard. Have you ever sweated worshiping God? He was worshiping all his might. And his wife looked at him and said, Man, why you got to act all like that, bro? Calm down. Why are you getting all loud about Jesus? I believe in Jesus too. I mean, I believe in Jesus. I mean, we, you know, I got him tattooed on my arm. I got a scripture verse. I got a King James. Never read it, but I got a King James. And you out here doing all this. What's all that, man? And then she said this. She said, you embarrassed me and the whole family in front of everybody. You're supposed to be king. David looked at her and said, girl, if you thought that was something, wait a next week. Wait the next service, because I'm about to get down, and I'm about to throw down like you ain't never seen before. Because he said, even when I worship, I'll remain humble in my own eyes. Because God's been too good for me to sit on my hands and not worship the God of heaven. Come on. You know what was scary? The Bible says his wife, Micah, never had children from that day forward. Because she criticized this guy. I mean, this is serious stuff, dude. Serious stuff, man. Pride will rob us from things. That's what I'm trying to get at today. And it hides. I want revival, don't you? We can't have revival in Dagon. You ain't going to have revival in your family with Dagon. With any of his little buddies. And they're all in us. I'm not the only one that's got to bring these things down. I'm bringing these downs all the time. Every week. That rebellion. Look. It's up there again. It would be if I had somebody run up. As soon as you take rebellion down, it's up there by Wednesday. Because we're going to pray and y'all going to knock them down. Amen. Praise God. We're going to have a good service. Wednesday, Zach is going to come back. When Kavar asks you to do something, stack tables or stack chairs, he does a great job anyway. Him and his brother, they're walking in humility. I thought I got rid of rebellion until I joined ministry. How much time do y'all have? 20 years ago, I joined a team at a church. It was a big church, and they, they were, I joined the, the evangelism team, go down to the homeless shelter and minister to homeless people. That's where I came from. I'm all about it. So I showed up with my 26-year-old self, been freed from hard drugs and addiction. I, you know, everyone's telling me, your testimony is so powerful. So, yeah, this, this guy was starting to creep up. And I said, I'll join that ministry. I'll go down there, and these dudes are younger than me that's running the ministry. And they're weird. And, and they, when they wanted to pray, they said, we just join hands in the parking lot and pray. And when they, they I don't like holding hands anyway, bro, I don't know you. But he's wanting to hold hands. And he, I'm 26 years old. I just come off the streets. And he says, we hold hands like this. So we don't let the devil get between our, I said, what is he? But they were the authority. So we get down to the thing, you know, and I'm, 
And they never asked me to share my story one time. They said, uh, what's your name again? They forgot my name, Ennis. Had to wear a sticker. Eddie. Oh, we need some hot dogs, because our church brought the food and the music. So they all came in when our church showed up. So I'm unloading vans with hot dogs. You ain't going to have me share my story? Because I'm good. Everyone's telling me I can share it. Nope. It was three years before I ever stood in front of a crowd and opened my Bible and was like, listen to what God has done in my life. Three years. You know what God was doing? He was knocking this dude out. Whichever one I got. I think it's rebellion I'm talking about. I don't even know. Been on this one a long time. Knocking it down. Knocking it down. Three years. I still told my story at work. And one time I went out to the parking lot because I got to share my story. So I went out to the parking lot. All the homeless people was out there and I'm out there talking. And all they came up was, hey, you got a light. I'm trying to tell them about Jesus. There was no blessing. There was no anointing because even those dudes were younger and not as polished as me. And even when they shared their story, it wasn't even life-changing. It was real. But they loved the people. They would sit down with homeless people and sit next to them and talk to them. And they would sing. Out of key, but they would sing. And they would do, and all I did was give hot dogs. And for three years, just giving hot dogs. You know what God was doing? God was building character in me. Because character is the cup that holds the anointing. He said, Eddie, but you don't know it. But in 20 years, you're going to have a church where you're going to be raising up men and women of God to learn how to carry that anointing. And you can't do it with your prideful self up there talking about, look what I did. And look what I did all myself. No, it ain't you, brother, at all. Rebellion hates to wait on God. Saul, he got tired of waiting. Samuel said, don't do the sacrifices. I do the sacrifices. He waited three days on purpose. I know he did it on purpose. The Bible don't say it, but I know he did it. And the people begin to pressure him. See, pressure, you know it's not of God when you feel pressure. The Holy Spirit don't push. The Holy Spirit is a gentle pull. Like Peter, get out of the boat. You don't get in a, if someone's pushing you, that's not God. That's your flesh. But I feel it. Esau felt it and lost everything on his feelings. And I waited on the Lord, and he was able to open the doors. And then I joined the worship team, and my little brother was my boss. And he did practice every Thursday. We don't need to practice. And I had to submit, and I had to learn authority. You've got to learn authority. And that, why? Because it knocks this guy down. If we want to see revival, we've got to knock the idol of rebellion down. This last one is comparison, and uh, this is so good. And let me just close with this. Comparison. Jesus tells this, this parable. And um, is this okay? Anybody getting anything out of this? Five-way comparison. Put that scripture up. We'll close with this. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. <laughs> Whoa, that's how, that's how Luke sets it up. <laughs> Luke's like, this is for all those that think you are something. And that's me. I, hey, that's, I remember reading this. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. Tax collectors were like sinful people because they lied to get more money. They, they uh, aggravated their family. I mean, it was all, you were not wanting to be a tax collector in the first century. You worked for Rome, and you were a Jewish person, and Rome was oppressing you, so you're working for the man. I mean, it was, like, it was like a huge deal to be a tax collector. So they both go to church on Sunday. The Pharisee stood by himself because pride isolates you. 
He stood by himself and prayed and said, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. This dude is up in church saying that. Thank you, God, I'm not like that guy over there. Look how he's worshiping. But I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all. I am the number one tither on the record. But this tax collector, Jesus said, stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast, his chest, and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went up to his home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You've got to get rid of the comparison where we're thinking that we're better than other people. It's a part of Dagon, guys. It's a part of pride. And the whole point of this today is to let the Holy Spirit identify and recognize these idols that we get set up in our hearts. And we, the devil and the world and society has told us there's nothing wrong with these things. I'm telling you, it's a trick from the enemy to keep us from the presence of the Lord. We're going to have to clean these idols up on a regular basis. And that's how you walk in humility. Are you with me? Well, amen and amen. I pray that message was a blessing to you, that you received some sort of encouragement or word of instruction from the Lord. That's our prayer at River of Light, that every time you tune in, that God speaks directly to your heart. Well, this is Pastor Eddie again. Just want to say thank you for listening to our podcast and remind you that every Tuesday, a new message is uploaded. Also, if you want to watch one of our services, head over to our YouTube channel. It's River of Life Church, a church of his presence, his promises, and all people. And you can watch one of our services that way as well. So God bless you. I pray God's presence be with you uh, for the rest of the week. Amen.